message for you this morning that will be focusing on Palm Sunday. That's what it is today. Before I go there, I was just wanting to share some thoughts about um, Jesus. So, well, we're always talking about Jesus. It's not good enough to simply talk about him. We must really get to know him. In getting to know him, his love and his power will come into us. When the twelve, thinking about the apostles really, not just the disciples, the apostles were twelve special disciples as it were. When he calls them, there must have been something so powerfully attractive about Jesus that they immediately left everything to follow him. Now, they hadn't seen him for long or spoken to him much. He just called them. And it appears from scripture they dropped everything and went. At first, in following him, it must have been really exciting, mustn't it? I mean, you see the miracles, He's, he's teaching the people, and no one's heard teaching like this. They're amazed at how good his teaching is. They're excited about the thousands that are turning out to listen to him. It's exciting. It talks about the first year was a time of real blessing for the Lord and his disciples. After a while, though, they realized that it wasn't all good. There was strong opposition against him. And Jesus didn't make it easier, did he, for himself? It was the authorities, the, the ruling Jewish authorities, that were out to get him. And he just made it worse and worse for himself. But he didn't only make it worse for himself, he made it worse for the twelve as well, didn't he? <coughs> It was never going to end well. It wasn't. And by their close association with Jesus, it wasn't going to end well for them either. If he went down, they would all go down. He tried to tell them how it would end. He was the Messiah, and eventually they realized this. They understood it. Peter said, we know who you are. But when he went on to say, it'll all end terribly, they said, no, 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 you've got it wrong. Remember, he resisted what Jesus said. But Jesus said, no, it will all end really bad. What was it that caused them then to stay faithful to Jesus if they knew it was all going to end so terribly and their relationship wasn't decades, it was simply two or three years? What was it that kept them close to him knowing it was going to end in tragedy? I like to think it was their love for Jesus. I like to think that because when when the rubber hit the road, as it were, they all ran away, didn't they? 
So the love that they had, even Peter's boastful, I will even go to prison with you, I will never leave you, he deserted. They all deserted Jesus. I think what kept them close to Jesus was his love for them. Yes, they did love him, and we love him. Well, we love him as much as we know him. That's why it's important we read the scriptures, and it's vitally important we read the gospels, because in the gospels, that's where we find Jesus. And we mustn't read it so quickly, read it slowly. Let it show you what this Jesus is actually like. The true Jesus, as it were. And our love for him will grow. But don't worry. If your love for him doesn't grow as much that would it cause you to be faithful to him. His love is so powerful, it holds you to him. Isn't that exciting? He said, I will never leave you or forsake you. You see, sometimes we can be a little bit indifferent about our relationship. But he's never indifferent towards us. This force, this power that he has, this love that he has, it draws us to him. As I was thinking of these, I, I woke this morning thinking those thoughts. It's additional to the sermon. Maybe it's important for someone. And a song came into my mind. Uh, it's, it's an old hymn. Uh, we don't sing many old hymns. I'm not really opposed to whether we sing old hymns or not. Um, I grew up in the generation where we sang old hymns, and I just thank the Lord for them. I thank the Lord for the new music as well. But this is the, the song that came into my mind. Oh, love that will not let me go. It was written by an old Scottish minister uh, in the 19th century. Oh, love that will not let me go. I rest my weary soul in thee. I give thee back the life I owe that in thine ocean depths it flow, may richer, fuller be. O light that followest all my way, I yield my flickering torch to thee. My heart restores its borrowed ray, that in thy sunshine's blaze it day, may brighter, fairer be. See, we just have a flickering torch of love. But he has a blazing light of day. And it's that which keeps us connected to him. It draws us into his presence. O oh, joy that seeketh me through pain, I cannot close my heart to thee. I trace the rainbow through the rain. I feel the promise is not vain. That morn shall tearless be. O cross that lifteth up my head. 
I dare not ask to fly from thee. I lay in dust like glory dead, and from the ground that blossoms red, life that shall endless be. Fantastic words. Do you know why you're here? It's because the love of God drew you. If it was left to us, just us, we would have run a long time ago. But he doesn't let us, you see. He draws us by those cords of love. As we read the Gospels, as we read them slowly and carefully, and let others explain them to us, our love from him will grow and grow and grow. I want to read the passage from Mark's Gospel related to Palm Sunday. Uh, Steve read the one from John. It's found in uh, Mark chapter 11 and from verse 1. It deals a lot more with how he acquires this, uh, this cult, this foal of an ass. It says, As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you'll find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Tell him, the Lord needs it and will send it back here shortly. They went and they found a colt outside in the street tied to a door, at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, what are you doing untying the colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to. And the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went to the temple. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Jesus visited Jerusalem many times. Some suggest he only went a few times, but scripture indicates he had made friends in Bethany, uh, which was just a 40-minute walk from Jerusalem. Uh, Mary and Martha and Lazarus, who Steve read about, they were good friends of his. It says he loved them. He made a close friend of someone called Joseph of Arimathea, and he was on the Jewish ruling council. Um, being on the Jewish council, he couldn't openly be a friend of Jesus, so he was more like a secret friend. But he was a friend. He was there at the end. He didn't agree with what they were doing to Jesus. We also read that we're told that often it says, he said, I would have gathered, often he says, I would have gathered the people of Jerusalem as a hen gathers her chicks, 
but you wouldn't come to me. You resisted me, as it were. He did this often, it says. So he was there all the time. On his visits to Jerusalem, he always received a fairly cold response. Maybe at times the people were accepting of him, but they were generally city people. They weren't the country folk that he ministered to a lot of the time, and so there was something of a resistance. And the the ruling authorities um, didn't want him, and the wealthy didn't want him. On one of these visits to Jerusalem, he knows that the next time he comes would be his last visit. See, in his ministry, which was only just three years, every step was a step closer to the cross. The cross got closer and closer and closer and closer, and he is showing the nation of Israel what God is like, what the kingdom of God should be like. He is explaining to them he is the Messiah, but they're not understanding him. And remember that one day when he, he's walking along with them and he says to his followers, who do people say that I am? It's almost like a point of crisis for Jesus. Are they getting who I am? Who do the people say they am? Oh, some said, oh, you're uh, Elijah, the, the one who would come before the Messiah. They think you're him. Oh, some say, oh, you're just one of the old-fashioned prophets. You're the prophet today. Others were saying what Herod was saying. Oh, he's John the Baptist come back from the dead to uh, taunt me or... They weren't understanding, you see. So then he turns to them and he thinks, if these men don't understand who I am, no one understands who I am. And in a way, I failed in my mission because I have to leave behind in the hearts of men and women who I am. For it to continue, people must know who I am. So he says, who am I? And Peter, lovely Peter, who speaks up again. We learn so much from Peter's speaking up. He says, you're the Christ, he says. You're the Messiah. That means you're the anointed one. You're the son of God. Oh, how relaxed. How eased Jesus must have felt that God had revealed into the hearts of men the reality of who he was. He knew this would be his last visit to Jerusalem. And so he had uh, organized through a friend who he knew that he would need a cult on that particular last visit. And so he sent the a couple of his disciples, his followers, to collect the cult on the day that he would enter into Jerusalem. God super-organized, did you know? (laughs) We're not, are we? We live in chaos half of the time. Nothing working out. This week on Thursday I had a strong impression to ring Paul to say I'm looking forward to coming on Sunday Paul 
was in my diary. Perifat, it says, clearly, written in ink, not pencil. It must be definite. I didn't ring Paul. I mean, we don't always ring and say I'm coming. He's got the dates, I've got the dates. We just get on with life, we're busy. But I got this strong impression. Tell Paul you're coming. So I text him and I said, looking forward to being with you on Sunday. And I got this strange message back from Paul. And it said, oh, I'm glad you're going to be with us. Could you share a message with us? And I thought, really strange. That's what I come for, Paul, is to share a message. So I thought, oh, well, he's either having an elderly moment or I am. Uh, so I left it like that. And then I, I spoke to Daphne and I said, oh, I have a strange message back from Paul and saying um, to, to bring a message if, if, if I'm coming. She said, is it you got it wrong or Paul got it wrong? Well, um, I looked at the uh, dates that I'd given Paul and this date didn't include it at all. It's, I want, I'm not supposed to be here. Okay. <laughs> so I just wonder for a minute, am I supposed to be somewhere else? Well, I'm not, but I wasn't meant to be here. But now Paul said, yeah, of course, come and bring a message very gracious and open to me. So here I am. See, I'm in chaos. <laughs> but God isn't. I don't know the reason. For some reason, God wants me here. Amen. I, you see, it might not be what I'm here doing now. It might be something that I do after. But God knows, doesn't he? Stuff isn't chaos or haphazard or crazy. It looks like it to us. It looks like we don't know what we're doing half the time. And, and everything's going wrong. But it never goes wrong. Because God is sovereign, you see, over everything. Sometimes people plan things for our downfall, but God turns them around. Because we're looking to God all the time. Jesus knew in advance he would need a cult. He set it all up. He arranged it. It was all there. He even gave them a password, didn't he? He said, go to that place and give them this password. So the person who had the cult already knew that two would come with the password and they would, he would simply give the, the cult over to, to Jesus. Possibly another friend of Jesus that we know nothing about. Why did Jesus do what he did on Palm Sunday? Why did he do that? Why did he get himself a colt and ride into Jerusalem? Was he saying something? Well, if you read your Old Testament, you find that the, the prophets are not adverse to acting out some of their prophecies. It's almost like, I'll tell you what God has told me to tell you, but just in case you're not listening, I will act it out. So you do not forget. The prophets did that many times. One who was a master at it was the prophet Ezekiel. He did it all the time. He took a scroll once to a king and he read the scroll to the king and as he read each part of it, he ate it and he consumed the whole scroll. Uh, discomfort, unpleasant, I'm sure. But he was making a point. 
if you're wanting to know what the point was, well, you'll have to go and read it at home, because I'm not going to tell you. I'm not doing all the work for you. On another occasion, he lay on his side for 430 days. I mean, really? I can't lay on my side for very long. I've got to keep turning over, you know, this side and then that. He lay there for 430 days. Check that one out. Another occasion, he took his sword and he cut off his beard and his hair and he chopped it all up into pieces and he distributed it around. This one isn't so pleasant. One day he cooked his food over human excrement. <laughs> Sorry. Look it up. Check it out. The point I'm making is sometimes the prophets acted out something so that people would see and they would remember what they saw as opposed to simply words that, that that's why we have parables parables we can remember as stories but teaching it drops away sometimes but the story we can hold what was Jesus doing riding on a donkey into the city he was proclaiming, I am the king. I am the Messiah. Now, how did they get that? Well, Jewish people, especially the people in Jerusalem, they knew their scriptures. And there was a scripture that says this in Zechariah 9 and 9. Steve's already read it because in the John's account, it gives this verse. Rejoice greatly, O daughters of Zion. Shout, it says, daughters of Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. He was fulfilling this prophecy. 500 years before, this prophet had prophesied something, perhaps that he didn't understand what even he was saying. He had no clue. He just knew it was the word of the Lord, and he spoke it out in faith. And now, all these years later, Jesus is doing the very thing. He is riding as the king into Jerusalem on a colt. The majority understood what Jesus was doing, you see. They got it, because they knew their scriptures. They realized he was saying, I am the king, and I'm coming into my city, and I'm coming in peace. It's important that he said that he was coming in peace. In Israel, a donkey or an ass was not a despised animal. I'm not saying you despise animals, but it's not on your top ten list, is it, a donkey? Well, it might be, I'm sorry. You've got lions and horses and, and, you know, big animals that you think of. Somewhere down there, there might be the donkey, you know, right at the end of your list. It wasn't the case in Israel. When a king went to battle, you're right, Steve, he rode on a horse. A powerful horse. But when he came to ride in peace, he was on a donkey. He was portraying something, you see. 
a powerful king on a horse, a powerful king in peace, riding on a donkey. The donkey then was an animal of the king. It was noble. He came then into Jerusalem as the Messiah riding on a donkey. He came meek and lowly. It says in the passage we read, uh, sorry, that, that prophecy, your king of righteousness coming gentle. He came in peace to be the king of peace in the city. How did they greet him? Son of David, they shouted out. Son of David. See, the people who were shouting for him did not understand who Jesus was or his mission. They understood nothing. Barely his twelve understood that he was the Messiah, but they didn't understand much else. When he tried to tell them, I must go and die on a cross, Remember Peter's outburst? No, he said. No, that's not true, Lord. And he said, get behind me, Satan. Jesus' response was as violent as Peter's a plea that he was wrong. No, he says, no, get behind me. I have to go to the cross, as it were. Whenever you read in here that people cried out, Son of David... They were expecting a Messiah king that looked like David, acted like David. Not simply was of the line of David, but was as forceful and as conquering as David was himself. There was never anyone more mighty in battle than David. He just conquered everything that was around. He brought peace to his nation. All the enemies were put down. Enemy, any, anyone who resisted Israel, he simply went and crushed them with his force. All the nations around, they feared David because he was a conquering king. You see the people crying out, Son of David. You see what they wanted. They wanted a conquering king. That's who they were crying out for. We want you, our conquering king. In David's time, the nation was never so prosperous and the people so wealthy. That's what they wanted, you see. A Messiah who would be like David. Or a Messiah who would be like Moses. Who would lead them out of captivity. And cause them to dwell in the land of promise and prosperity. The crowds that lined the route that day. They shouted for their Messiah. But they did not understand his mission. They didn't know at all what he came to do. The crowds were thinking in conquest in, in terms of overthrowing the Romans, throwing them out, making us a great nation again, a powerful people. 
They had thought like this since David was on the throne, which was about a thousand years before Christ. This had been their thinking all the time, all the time. A Messiah will come, one powerful and mighty like David. They anticipated then a Messiah who would conquer all of their enemies. They shouted, they spread their clothes on the floor. They shouted this, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It's a quotation from Psalms. It was shouted by the people of Israel in Jerusalem once, who when the king had conquered some enemies, he was coming back into the city, and this is what they were shouting out. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Our, our mighty king has come. This man is going to be this mighty king. Their idea of the Messiah was misguided and wrong. He was not coming as a conquering king. The welcome they gave him was not befitting a king of love, but a king who would shatter his enemies. 9 and 10 verses there, they shouted, Hosanna! Hosanna! It, it's not a shout of praise. So, I've been told this for years. Hosanna was a shout of praise. No, it wasn't. It literally means, save now. Save now. They weren't shouting this to Jesus, Hosanna. They were shouting to God, God, save us now. If this is the Messiah that you've sent, save us now from our enemies. Save us now. <laughs> if this is the Messiah, raise him up to smash the enemy, to drive out the Romans, to make us powerful and wealthy all over again. <laughs> Have you ever thought about the courage of Jesus? What a courageous man he was. Why would he make such a fuss of riding into Jerusalem when so many people there didn't like him? I mean, why do it? Just sneak in quietly through one of these many gates around the city and no one will see him. <coughs> he wants everyone to see. Every eye would see. Everyone in that city and... At the time of Passover, there were probably a million plus people in the city. Everyone would know that Jesus had come as the Prince of Peace. What's he doing? He's making his last appeal as the Messiah for the people to turn and to receive him. He's making his last appeal to the elders and the, those in authority to receive him for who he truly was, that's what he's doing. Luke tells us in Luke 19 and 41, it's, it's in every gospel account. It's good to read them all together so you get the full picture. It says this in Luke's, um, 
writing up of the event. As he approached Jerusalem and he saw the city, he wept over it. (laughs) You can see him weeping now. See, he's come as the Prince of Peace, gentle. He turns the corner and catches a view of the city, the walls, and he starts to weep. He said, if you, even you had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. Because they rejected him, they would never see him as the Messiah. There's a word of warning here. If God speaks to you about something, and you ignore him, he might come to you again, and again, and again, and again. But if you refuse to listen, he might stop telling you about that thing. Then you can never find repentance for it. Because repentance is granted you. So when God speaks, we respond immediately. Otherwise, we put ourselves in a dangerous position where that sin cannot be forgiven. But now, it is hidden from your eyes, he said. He wept as he saw Jerusalem because he knew of the imminent destruction of the people, of the city, and eventually the nation, the nation of Israel would only last another 40 years after Christ went to the cross and it would be wiped away for over 2,000 years. He knew this and he wept for the city of God, for the people of God. This is hard what I'm going to say now. Nothing ends well. Does it? Oh, in the next world, it's brilliant. It's wonderful. We're looking forward with anticipation into the next world. But in this world, nothing ends well. Just look at me. Some of you knew me years ago, but look at me now. I put my jumper on the wrong way round this morning. Can you believe it? I was told, you put your jumper on backwards. I wear hearing aids in both ears. I wear glasses to be able to see what I'm saying. Nothing doesn't end well you see we struggle with the church we struggle in our homes we struggle in the workplace we struggle in our communities it goes wrong and wrong and wrong and wrong and we don't want it to go wrong we want it to go right but nothing ends well in this world it doesn't we must wake up to the reality of it 
we're not heading to a utopia in this earth. It does not exist. This world sucks. And we live in this world with all of its pain and difficulties. And we are part of it. It didn't end well for Jesus. It didn't end well for the twelve. Even those that escaped death, it still didn't end well for them. It will not end well for you. Because just as they followed Jesus, we followed Jesus. And it didn't end well for them, it won't end well for us. I know we sing a victory. But it's victory in here, in the midst of it. Some problems, you can't work them out. Some things are just too difficult for us. But if we're looking to the Lord, His peace can be ministered into our hearts and we can trust Him and we live in hope and we die in hope. It says in that great passage about faith, all of these people died believing. In other words, it hadn't materialized yet, but they lived in faith and they died without receiving. Jesus died without receiving any of us. He had to die first for us to come and then he would receive us. Did he know that any of us would be saved? He died in faith, believing being obedient to his father. Is there a clear message in this for us today? When we look to Jesus and we start singing praises to him, what do we expect Jesus to do? What sort of Messiah do you believe in? Is he a superhero? One who just breaks into the scene and sorts it all out? Well, he hasn't always been a superhero for me, I can assure you of that. Sometimes I've walked through a lot of pain and come out the other end and I still carry the pain, but he walked with me through it. I came out the other end somehow. Sometimes he was a superhero. Sometimes I got delivered. But more often than not, he wasn't a superhero for me. But he never left me. He doesn't meet all our needs. He doesn't. Sometimes he gives us the strength to do more work. That's different, isn't it, than checks coming through the post. You have to get up and go to work every day, even when you're retired. He doesn't always banish our enemies. He will do one day, but not until that day. Our enemies are still here. He doesn't lead us into a life of peace and comfort. In here he does, but not out here. How king is one who came to serve and not to be served. He came to give his life as a ransom for many. And he expects us to do exactly the same. Sorry, if you had a different gospel to mine, I've lived 
60 years with this gospel and I'll tell you my gospel is true it's true he was a king of humility and love not a conquering king that smashed his enemies he loved his enemies he was a king a conquering king who when he saw what was going to happen he wept he didn't move supernaturally to deliver Jerusalem. He simply wept over Jerusalem. His kingdom that we live in today is not a kingdom that conquers those who stand against us. It's a kingdom of people who love their enemies. People who despitefully use them. People who say all manner of evil. It's a kingdom where we love. We love those people. It's a kingdom where we lay down our lives for our king and for each other. During this week, we remember the death of Jesus. You can be sad this week. You're at liberty to enter in to that morning. But next Sunday, we meet again to rejoice over his triumph. Amen. Amen. And one day he will come as the conquering king. But until that day, we live in this week. You understand what I'm saying? One day he will come as the conquering king. That will be resurrection day. We are saved through his resurrection now. But meanwhile, we're living this week for the rest of our lives or until Jesus comes. But we live it with a hope and an expectation. And as sure as Sunday is going to come next Sunday, Jesus will come again. And then we'll be happy clappies. <laughs> then, then we'll be rejoicing people. Then we will know the triumphs that we have. Then we will know victory over our enemies. Then, then, and not until then. Be full of hope. Be full of praise in your heart for the Lord. But be strong. Don't expect him to be a superhero for you. Expect him to walk alongside you until he comes again. Amen. Amen. Lord bless you.